And so today's the third week I want to talk about prayer. Talked about unity for several weeks. Talked about prayers. You remember last time I was preaching on this, we talked about leaning into trouble in prayer and how we've got to learn how to draw on the grace of God right now in the moment of difficulty we're in and how he presses in with these difficulties to force prayer up and out of our heart. Well, today I want to talk about breakthrough in our prayer that I believe really hinders us as believers, keeps us from flowing, and the breakthrough has to come in two areas, and that's through purity of heart, being right with God, and through freedom from offense with brothers and sisters, being right with man. So I want to have righteousness, right relationship with God, and righteousness with man, and how that transforms our prayer life. Often it's easy to feel like prayer just doesn't work, like I'm just asking for stuff and I've been asking for a long time and I can't seem to get traction or my prayer life is just kind of stagnated and maybe it works for that guy or that gal, but it doesn't work for me. And and the truth of the scripture is, is that prayer always works all the time, every time, because it's backed up by God who works when we pray and it's backed up by his word where all the promises of God are yes and amen. So if prayer works all the time, every time, and I'm praying and it's not working, what's the disconnect? It's not a problem with God and his word. There's, there's a problem on my end here. So real, direct, transparent, artless praying, childlike faith is what God is calling for. And the only condition he puts on us as prayers, the only limitation he puts on prayer is my character or my heart attitude. Because words are not prayer. Yes? Just because I say the words, it does not mean I am praying. It's truly from the heart. I connect with the Lord in prayer on the heart level, not the lip level. So, A reminder, I'm going to sum up a few things Ian Bounds says about prayer. Prayer is simply this. It's making known our requests to God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ. Making known our requests to God for things that are agreeable to his will in the name of Christ Jesus. We all know that. Prayer is asking God for something that he already wants to give and he's already promised to give. God is leaning in to answer prayers, and so I learn to draw on God, and I get what I want, and it's what he already wants to give in the first place. It's the divinely appointed means for obtaining what we need and accomplishing God's purposes on earth. Prayer is how we cash the check. You and I are given a check, we go to the bank, and that transaction at the bank to take that cash out is prayer. Very, very simple. Even a child can do this. All of God's giving of good things is conditioned on us asking, right? We don't have because we don't ask. God has the treasure house of riches and supply and blessing. And he says, you have to ask. You have to receive them in prayer. If you parents... 
being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give even the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Even the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is based on prayer. And God commits himself fully and completely into the hands of true men and women prayers. He's committed all of his power. So asking is our part, giving is God's part. Praying is our part, answering is God's part. We all know this. It's very simple, it's very direct according to the scriptures. But the only stipulation he puts on prayer is, where's your heart? What is your posture before the Lord? Because just saying the right phrases and sprinkling magic pixie dust will not work. I want you at the heart level to interact with me in prayer. So, pride is one thing that effectively shuts the door in our prayer life. And the scripture bears this out, as you remember in Luke 18, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. They both come to the place of prayer at the same time, and one guy stands up full of pride and self-righteousness and proclaims all that he's done for God. I, 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 I. And he goes home after repeating how many long hours, I don't know, of prayer, unjustified. He goes home without receiving. He never cashed the check. But the tax collector comes up and he won't even look up to heaven. He casts his eyes down and he beats his breast and he says, Oh Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. And that man went home justified. Not because he prayed better, but because his heart was in the right place. God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. One man did not really pray, but it looked like he did. The other man really prayed because of his humility. And that's because God dwells in a high and a holy place, and he also dwells with those who are humble and contrite in spirit, those that tremble at his words. So we know all this. Let me give you a few quick teachings from the scriptures about if and then, or first things first, and what God cares about first, and then what he cares about second. You can flip there if you want to, but go with me in your mind, at least to Psalms chapter 51. After David has done what he's done with Bathsheba, and after he's done what he's done to her husband, killed him, slaughtered him, lied about it, covered it up, and his bones are wasting away because of his sin, And he says this in verse 16, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. Men despise brokenness. God esteems brokenness. Then you go to verse 19. After that, then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous. In burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. First, right with God. Then sacrifices. God cares about sacrifices, but not first, secondarily. Matthew chapter 5, you remember. For those of you who are going to the uh, to, uh, the, the altar to make your offering, and there you remember that your brother has an offense towards you. Now keep in mind, this part of Matthew chapter 5 is right after he talks about anger in your heart being like murder for your brother. Right after he says that, he says, okay, let's pretend you're in church. You're going to, you're offering your sacrifice. You remember your brother has something 
what are you supposed to do with your offering? Leave it. Forget about it. First, go to your brother or to your sister and be reconciled with them first. And then what? Secondarily, come back. Then make your offerings to God. First, be right with your brother, then come make your offering. Psalm 51, first be right with God, then come make your offering. All prayer is not created equal. Number three, James says, you don't have because you don't ask. We all know that. But then he says in chapter four, you still don't have what you've asked for because what motivates you to pray is wrong. You've got something that's stuck in your life. You're not getting that breakthrough that you want. You're not seeing the healing, the miracle, the, the, the breakthrough in the relationship you're hoping for. Why? Because your motive in your heart is wrong. And so he says, get right with God. And he says it this way in verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, just like Brian said, and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I want to submit to God's rule in my life first and foremost. I want to be right with God first. Having done that, And being right with God. I'm not talking about perfection here. I'm talking about a right posture of my heart. Having done that, now I can look outward at you all and I can do the next verses. Verse 11. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. Put it another way. The very thing I'm accusing my brother of doing, breaking the law, is the thing I'm doing worse than him. I'm breaking the law because I'm speaking against the law that says in Leviticus 19, do not speak evil of your brother. Matthew chapter 7, do not judge one another or you will be judged. The very thing, the little speck in his eye is way overshadowed by the tree in my eye because I'm judging the law in him and in so doing I'm judging myself. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? You know, one of the ways I know that my heart is right with the Lord, it's how I speak about his children. And I know that if slander and gossip and bad things and accusations of heart motive are coming out against God's children from my heart, that I'm not being humble because humble people do not slander others. So, go with me to your right to 1 John chapter 2. It's a book about interpersonal relationships. The entire book here is, I highly recommend reading it. Living out real, true relationships with God and with man. This book written by the beloved disciple. And it says, in verse 9, Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates a brother or sister, is still in the darkness. Anyone 
who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there's nothing within them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates or has aught or bitterness, or anger towards a brother or sister is in the darkness, and they walk around in the darkness. They don't know where they're going because darkness has blinded them. So to put it another way, when I have hatred or anger or offense towards any of y'all, or any one of my brothers and sisters, I usher in, I open the door to spiritual darkness in my heart which makes me blind. And that spiritual darkness that makes me blind leads me into wandering wandering aimlessly and stumbling and not knowing where I'm going. It's a terrible thing to harbor bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart. And then he goes on to say it in a more more emphatic way in chapter 4, where he says in verse 20, And he uses this word claim again. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot, it's impossible to love God whom they have not seen. So it's impossible to truly At the heart level, love God. I cannot do it if I've got this darkness in my heart caused by bitterness and unforgiveness. But so many of us attempt to pray to God from this place. From this place of this darkness in our heart, we say, God bless me. God, would you teach me to live by the Holy Spirit? Would you teach me to understand your word? I, don't, I want to love your word more. Would you break through at work? We're praying all the right stuff. But it's like in Amos chapter 5, God's like, I'm shutting up my ears. Isaiah chapter 1, he's like, all of your, like, your prayers to me and your sacrifices, I hurt my head. I can't hear you because justice isn't going out to your brothers and sisters you you're not right with your sister or your brother who you can see why would you pray to me who you can't leave your gift at the altar and go be made right first then i'll hear you i'm not talking about salvation i'm talking about getting your check cashed getting your prayers answered and igniting your prayer life guys why do i pray and nothing happens Search your heart. See what the Lord is saying. And I tell you, once you make the call or write the letter or send the email or show up face to face and weep those repentant prayers to that person or release and forgive that person who's died and gone on or hurt you so bad, I promise you guys, something clears in the heavenly realms. Something opens up and God says, here I am, let's go. Let's get to answering prayers. And you see breakthrough like you've never seen breakthrough before. Stop. First, go and be reconciled with your brother. Then come offer your sacrifices to God. Stop. First, purify your heart. Wash your hands. Change your mind. Repent, you double-minded. Get right with God. I want my prayers to be heard. God does not hear all prayers. Please don't buy into that. The Bible says if you've got ought in your heart towards your spouse, your prayer is not heard. 
The Bible says if you cherish sin in your heart, your prayer is not heard. God is caring about their relationship with you at the heart level, not about what you say, what comes out of your mouth. So, John 15, you remember this? If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. His last sermon, Jesus just explodes. He just tears the roof off our expectations for prayer. Whatever you want to see happen, ask, and it will be done. What's the stipulation? Abide in me, and let my words abide in you. What does it look like for the man or woman to abide with the Lord? Well, John 15 is linked to Psalms 15. So go with me to Psalms 15. Psalms 15 says, what type of a person, what type of a person dwells in the Lord's sacred tent? What type of a person dwells in the presence of the Lord? What type of a person lives on his holy mountain? Remember Jesus said, abide with me and let my words abide in you. Psalms 15 says, who can dwell with God? Who can live there? Well, verse 2 says, it's the one whose walk is blameless, who does what's righteous and speaks the truth from their heart. They're right with God. Not a salvation issue, guys. But my heart is clean towards the Lord. Secondly, their tongue utters no slander. They do no wrong to a neighbor and they cast no slur on others. I'm right with man, with my brothers and sisters. Those are the people who dwell and abide. Jesus says, abide with me and let my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish. Those are the two things, right with God and right with man. If I could say it another way, I'd say it another way, but I've said it the same way 10 times. Just to clear up, take a couple more minutes here and wrap up. The difference between judging someone in Matthew chapter 7, do not judge lest you be judged. It's all over the place. People who think the Bible is a sham and a book of lies will quote Matthew chapter 7 if you speak out against sin, right? There is a difference between judging and warning. There is a difference between going to your brother or sister in love to get the speck out because you discern it, you see it, and judging them with the tree in your eye. And Matthew 7 and Matthew 18 are linked for that reason. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge. Just like James chapter 4 said, don't sit in God's seat as the judge. Do not do that. Or you too will be judged. Remember, don't judge the law or else the law is going to come right back on top of you and judge you. Don't do that. Hypocritically judge. Self-righteously judge. Judgment always have these attributes with it. Self-righteous, hypocritical, aiming at superiority and always with the desire to be right according to the scripture. Rightness at all costs. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured right back to you. Do not judge. Hypocritical judgment. Self-righteous judgment. But, then you flip to your right and you go to Matthew chapter 18. And he says, if your brother and, or sister 
sins, in verse 15, go and point out their faults just between the two of you. See, Matthew chapter 7 is how we live with the tree in our eye. Matthew chapter 18 is how we go and we help our brother and sister get the speck out of their eye. Because I obviously can't see anything with a tree in my eye, but honestly, it's really, really, really hard to see with a speck in my eye too, right? Super bothersome. It just affects your whole body. So always when I'm warning someone out of love, it looks like this. I'm gentle with them. I'm honest with them. Leviticus 19 says, if someone sins against you, rebuke them frankly. Tell them to their face hey, this really grieved me when you did this or said this and I've been praying about it and I I feel nervous to even say it because I'm so weak myself, but I just wonder if this is what you really meant when you said that. And nine times out of 10, they're like, oh my gosh, thank you for saying this. No, I did not mean that, but I'm so grateful for you coming to me. Isn't that how it always goes, it seems like? I love you more for being brave enough to talk to me about that. It's always gentle. It's always honest. It's always frank. We're always interceding for them. And what are we aiming at? Restoration. Rescue from death. Uh, Dina, if you'd put that James 5, 19 through 20 up there. I don't know if I have that or not. But at the end of James, after James says, don't judge, he says, anyone, I don't know if I sent you that. Did I send you that? Anyone who rescues someone, who sees them in sin and rescues them, saves them from death. So if you see a brother or sister sinning and you go to them in gentleness and love and say, this seems like a dangerous thing for you, brother or sister. I love you enough to tell you that. You actually do a really good and godly thing for them. You rescue them. But as Brian said, our two choices are to intercede with the discernment we've been given or to go to them directly. I tell you guys, this is an open door for breakthrough and power in prayer like you've never experienced before. This ignites your life like you've never seen. So I was in a pastor's uh, prayer meeting uh, two weeks ago. And a couple weeks before that, I had been given a task to go talk to someone and see if I could get something arranged with them about about a meeting place and things like that. Jonathan, will you do that? I said, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Well, I totally forgot. I didn't talk to him. Well, then two weeks ago, I show up at this pastor's meeting and there's all these guys in the room and the guy just looks at me, David Crook from First Southern, looks right across the table. And he's like, Jonathan, did you get a chance to go talk to that uh, guy to get that worked out like we talked about? And there I was. And I felt so embarrassed in the moment for not doing what I said I would do that I just lied. And I said, well, I kind of lied. I mean, it was a half lie. Is that really a lie? Okay, yeah, I lied. So the truth is I did talk to him, but I didn't really talk to him about that. So I was like, yeah. Um," And all these guys, you know, you just feel like everyone's looking at you like all of a sudden 10 times more. And I'm like, yeah, I talked to him. And then after I did that lie, I started making crap up. And I was like, yeah. And he said that, you know, this is probably going to take a little longer than we were thinking. And as I'm saying, I'm like, Jonathan, what are you doing? Why are you adding to the lie? And I'm like, 
And then I added to it again. Then I was like, but he's got another meeting coming up with this group of people and he'll talk to him then. And as I say that, I feel like I'm like this big. I'm like, what are you doing? I almost did this right in front of all of them. I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm lying right now. I just make, I'm making stuff up to cover like a cat in the litter box. I'm just covering it up, cover it up, cover it up, right? As an old United Brethren pastor used to say. So they, I'm kind of like stumbling through this very, very simple question and they're all looking at me and they're like, okay, well, thanks for trying and do it this week, you know? So I'm like, okay. And I just feel like I got darkness inside of me. Like I start to get dizzy. I can't see straight. I'm like, I just flat out lied to pastors. <laughs> so see you later. I leave. I walk out the door. I go to a job site. This, this, this sub is talking to me about this construction project. I like can't even hear him. I can't see straight. Like I'm trying to make decisions. And then I start, I get from there and I drive and it's just on me. The lie is on me. And I feel my heart cloudy, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like cloudy spiritually. And then I start to do something really interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I'm telling you this. I hope it's a blessing. I start to do something really interesting. I start to backpedal a little bit and my flesh starts to argue with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I start to say, well, was it really a lie? What I could do is I could talk to this guy today and then that way I could say I kind of talked to him, but it wasn't before the meeting. It was after, after, after the meeting. And I start trying to talk myself off of the wall to say, it's not that big of a deal. For sure, don't humble yourself. For sure. For sure, do not tell them. Or heavens to Betsy, the church where you (laughs) don't tell everybody. So I get to work and I'm just processing through how I'm going to get out of this, how it's all going to work out. Well, then I get to lunchtime about three hours later and it's time to pray. I've got some stuff in my heart I want to pray about. So I step out of my office. I step outside to start to pray. And the Holy Spirit, clear as a bell, says, there will be no prayer today until this is taken care of. Like, oh, dad, gummit. And I've had to do this so many times, guys. I call him up. Hey, brother, how you doing? Oh, great. I'm doing good. Good, David. Hey, oh, I got to tell you, man, I absolutely did not tell you the truth earlier. I told you this and this and this, and there was a half truth, and I just didn't do it. And I'm sorry, and I want you to forgive me. He just dies laughing. He's like, brother, you're forgiven. I'm so proud of you. Good job, brother. Good job telling me this. And it just lifted. And I was like, yes, and I just started praying, man. I just started praying. And I saw God and my heart was cleared up and I got the prayer request that I was asking for, guys. And so that happened so I could stand here before you as weak and say, just do it, guys. Just make the call. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what comes to your mind when you go to the Lord in prayer. You know what I'm talking about. It takes five minutes to do it, but it feels like you take a knife and put it right into your heart, doesn't it? Like it feels like you're just dying. That's what the cross feels like. So I lost my life and I found it. Yeah, Alita, come on. I wanna be right with God. And he's like, go make that right with your brother. Then we can talk. Then we can talk. I want you guys to be unlocked in your prayer life. 
anything. I'm not talking about a life of perfection here. I got, I got a long ways to go to get to perfect, just like you do. I'm talking about the known, hidden sin that the Lord's talking to you about, the offense he's talking to you about. I'm talking about dealing with that today. Do not wait till tomorrow. This happened to me several years ago in 2010, I think it was. I shared this story. A young guy stood up. He was in college. Sam asked for testimonies. And he said, I was just in a college class and this professor said, we spend hours and days and weeks thinking through and mulling through how we're going to do the thing that we know we should do. And then when we finally have a change in our will to do it, it takes five minutes. To actually just do it takes five minutes. And the thing that's been on us for all those months or all those years suddenly is lifted. Just do it. So I got home that afternoon. I knew exactly what it was. And I called three people. Two men and one woman. And I said, I'm sorry. I've been carrying some offense for years. And it hurt me when this happened. But me carrying offense is way worse than what you did. And I'm asking you to forgive me. All three of them answered the phone. Two was gracious Two were gracious with me, and one said, yeah, that's exactly what you did. And I said, okay, and they hung up the phone. I didn't get the payoff on that one, but I did get the payoff, because I got free. That guy's not free, I'm free. And I tell you, it unlocked, and that was a secret for me. Well, here I am again, doing it again. Every day, every day, I want my heart to be clean and pure before the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together if you would, guys. Oh, man. Oh, Lord, help us. We're just weak people. We want to be powerful in prayer, Lord. So I'm asking that you would use my weakness, Lord, to fan into flame obedience. Just simple, pure devotion. I pray that everyone in here would respond to the light that they've been given here this morning through your word. I pray for a quick turning for everyone in here. And Lord, I'm praying that you'd make us like Jesus, humble, servant of all. I thank you for the discipline, Lord, that comes so that we stay in that humble place. We stay low. Help us to stay low, Lord that pain that causes us to, I just pray, Lord, we'd respond to that and stay humble. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help these dear brothers and sisters. I pray, Yeah, we pray for more than just a church that doesn't gossip. We pray for a church that overcomes in prayer, Lord. A church that is quick to help get specks out of eyes so we can all see clearly. A biblical relationship model, Lord, played out here in the church in El Dorado, God. Lord, bless the prayer meeting tonight at First Baptist. I'm praying for purity of heart tonight for the church. We would see you, Lord. I pray that you would make us a praying people, Lord. You're the only one that can do it. We just love you today. In Jesus' name, amen.